Hey, folks, welcome back to another edition of Fire on Ice Sports. As always, my name is Evan Smoke, your resident fire here on the podcast, fourth year at the University of Georgia, three hours southeast of me, soon to be coming to Athens. That would be your local ice, Mr. Bryson Beamer. Bryson, another great weekend of college football. Really felt like a prove-it week, um, and we've got a lot to talk about, but we're going to throw it over to Noah and you to see how you guys are doing and for a trivia question. Yeah, we're both doing good, and Noah is here, so go ahead and hit us with it. Okay, so Brock Purdy, in the regular season, he has started 10-0. What QB holds the record at starting 15-0 to start his uh, career? Is it Jimmy Garoppolo? It is not. I feel like he's older. It's like he started in the 2000s. Is it Kurt Warner? It is not. Is it Eli Manning? No. Philip Rivers? No. <laughs> Carson Palmer? No. Oh, that's a good one. All right, one more. Drew Brees. Oh. All right, here you go. For the win, give me Ben Roethlisberger. Bang! That's it. Good job, good job. All right. Well, before we get into college football, we're going to jump into a little bit of MLB action because we have some big stuff coming up tonight, and it all starts with our Atlanta Braves. 507 first pitch tonight against the Phillies. Game three of the series. The series is top one to one. We saw the Braves, you know, just pretty much get manhandled for the first 15 innings of this series. We get shut out the first game. We're getting shut out halfway through the second game. The offense finally comes back to life in the uh, about the sixth, seventh inning. And the Braves end up having a clutch two run homer by Austin Riley, and then the amazing play at the end of the game by Michael Harrison, Austin Riley to double up Bryce Harper at first. It was a great game. I'm expecting a lot more like that out of this series tonight. The Braves just announced Bryce Elder is going to be the starter. People had questions would it be AJ, uh, AJ Smith Shaver? Could it be Charlie Morton? I mean, He's not on the roster, but apparently the Braves activated him from the 15-day DL. So it was like, could they add him and drop somebody? But it ends up being Bryce Elder, and he's going up against Aaron Nola. Bryce Elder has been – or he was your ace for the first half of the season. He struggled mightily down parts of the stretch in the second half, but still really good pitcher, young. Got to grow up tonight, though. It's going to be a big matchup, him facing Aaron Nola. We're going to a, a very hostile environment, the most hostile in the MLB, in my opinion. And I think it's going to be a slugfest tonight. But what are your thoughts on it to, before we get into our prediction for the rest of the series? So, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things that we I got to go back and talk about. First off, I had – I teach – for those of you who don't know, I, I do work at our student, student center here on campus, and I had to teach soccer training Monday night. When I got out of my car, I was listening on the radio, it was top of the fifth. And and I was thinking in my head about how I was going to have to come on this podcast today, and I was going to have to pose the question, if the Braves lose tonight, is it the biggest disappointment in postseason, you know, franchise postseason history? And lo and behold, if I did not get an alert in the middle of my training that we somehow came back and won. It was an immaculate comeback. It was, it was something – that this Braves team is very capable of doing with the offensive firepower, but it just felt like we just weren't going to get it done. And, you know, the Trey Turner, two errors in that in that game on Monday, huge, especially the second one, allowing Acuna to score, uh, and then the Darno homer. And I know that people were questioning why Darno started over um, 
uh, Sean Murphy on Monday. But, you know, if you look at the numbers, Darno has a history of not only postseason home runs, I would probably stick to, you know, his career stats against Zach Wheeler, which are awesome. And you saw it again on Monday. Uh, and then obviously the Austin Ryler home run in the bottom of the eighth, huge moment for our third baseman. And then the game ending double play, it should be hung in the Louvre uh, or Cooperstown, you know, for the rest of humanity. But it's one of those series shifting wins. Um, and, and it just feels like the momentum's all on your side now. Like you said, you've got to go into a very hostile environment tonight against Aaron Nola, who is an amazing pitcher. The Braves do have some history against Nola. Um, you know, a tweet came out today that about eight of your starting line, it's like seven or eight of your starting lineup has five or more extra bait hits against him. Um, so it's not all it's not all doom and gloom. I don't mind Elder starting. I would have loved a bullpen guy to start for like two innings, three innings to get through the get through the first time and then let Elder come in. But I'm not a GM. I'm not a manager. It's a really great, really great turnaround. And tonight's going to be really pivotal. Obviously, we'll go into it, but I, I think it's going to be huge for Atlanta. Yeah, um, I want to go back, and I'm going to throw another trivia question at you. So you mentioned Travis Darno's postseason home runs. He is in third place solely by himself with 10 career postseason homers. Can you name the two catchers who are tied for first with 11 career postseason home runs? No, but I saw that tweet literally 30 minutes ago, and I can see the names. It's like it's a J-A name and a uh, – J-V. Yeah, J-V. And a J-P. And a J Ooh, is it Josh Peterson? No, it's catchers. Oh, it's catchers. Yeah, duh. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you. I, it's Jorge Posada and Jason Veritek. Like, I saw the tweet that you're referencing, but I, I, I couldn't see it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're about to dive into our predictions for this, and I think we're going to contrast a lot here because I'm horrified of going to Philly. I mentioned it earlier. They are probably the most hostile environment in the MLB. I don't have much trust in Elder the way that he's been pitching lately. I think Aaron, Nola's, Aaron Nola is a phenomenal pitcher, and the Braves' bats better wake up or this one could get ugly. I have the Braves dropping this one and the next one to lose in four to the Phillies. Wow. Um, no. <laughs> I think Tuesday is something that a lot of teams don't do unless they come back to win the series. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's a guarantee. And, and obviously you could lose this game tonight and you could get blown out tomorrow and we might not ever see Saturday. It's a very real possibility. And, and I know there's a lot of problems with Elder, but I think your bats are going to start to fly. Maybe not the first inning, but early on in this game. I'm going to take the Braves to win tonight, lose tomorrow, and to eke out the series in five on Saturday. And another reason why I think tomorrow could be another loss is I'm assuming they're going back to the game one starting pitchers, which is going to be Ranger Suarez versus Spencer Strider. And Ranger Suarez has always killed the Braves. I don't understand it, but when the postseason comes around, I see Ranger Suarez starting game one against us. It's just like, yeah, he's not even that good of a pitcher. He just kills the Braves. It's kind of like the opposite. When the Braves face a really good pitcher, we seem to usually hit them well. But Ranger Suarez has our number, and I think he's getting guessed tomorrow as well. But – 
let's move on to the other games or the other series. And we're going to go with the Astros and Twins next. The Astros are up 2-1 to one in this one. And I'll just go ahead and give my prediction. I think the Astros close it out tonight. What's your prediction? I think so, too. I, I think this Astros team is really capable. Uh, the Minnesota team's a good story, but I don't really think they're any type of serious contenders. Uh, the All-Texas ALCS is going to be amazing. I think it's going to be probably the best series of the playoffs, even better than this Braves-Phillies. Yeah, and speaking of the Rangers, though, they sweep the Orioles, and the Orioles, you know, were a hot pick coming into the playoffs. They have won the second most games in the MLB. They were the AL favorite, it seemed like. Really young, good, talented team, but we mentioned it. We were a little worried about their youth, and their youth did not show up, and the Rangers' bats were phenomenal. And they end up sweeping the Orioles, and they're waiting for the winner of the Astros Twins series. So what are your thoughts on the Rangers? Yeah, I think this Rangers team is deadly, and they look like the best team in baseball currently. I mean, I, and I'm not saying that they'll win the World Series, but they look like it. Um, they do get a little bit of a delay now, even if Astros close it out tonight. It's an extra day of rest, rebuild the bullpen, you know. But I think it's going to be interesting to see when that game tips off – or not tips off, first pitch would be – would it be Saturday or would it be – I guess it would be Sunday. Um, yes. Because if game five Saturday, they're not going to yes, be game Yes, it's game. Sunday. Got to be Sunday. So, really, really interested to see how the extended rest helps or hurts them. Um, but I think it's going to be an amazing series. It, no offense to Minnesota. I just don't see them coming back to win two in a row. All right. And the last one has been the biggest shocker to me, and it's the Diamondbacks just manhandling the Dodgers lately. Their bats have woke up. Playoff Kershaw struck for the Dodgers, and the Diamondbacks are sitting here 2-0 and heading back to Arizona. And it once again, it's just a really young, talented team out of the Diamondbacks led by Corbin Carroll, who have just been producing on the offensive side of things. And I think they do drop tonight. I think the Dodgers bounce back big. But I think they get game four at home. I don't see them losing both at home. I think the Diamondbacks end up finishing this one out. And with that being said, we're not going to go into our later projections, but I'll just say with that clear path in the – National League, in my opinion, I think the winner of the Braves Philly series wins at all. But go ahead and give us your prediction on the Dodgers Diamondback series. Yeah, I agree completely with you. I think the Dodgers still want to still won in the desert tonight, um, but they Diamondbacks close out the series tomorrow night. Um, and I, the Diamondbacks don't scare me, uh, and I don't think they would scare the Phillies either. So I, I do have to agree that the winner of our series would probably end up in the World Series at least. All right. Do you have anything else in the MLB before we move on? No. All right. Well, let's move on to college football. And the first game I want to talk about is the Red River rivalry. And it was a classic. And before we get started, I just want to say, I don't think this game changed my mind on either team of how good I think they are. And I'll put it like this. Texas had three turnovers. Quinn Ewers having two interceptions and a fumble. And it was just a very uncharacteristic game out of him. He was still 31-37 for 346, which is awesome. But the three turnovers costed him mightily. And I also was not a huge fan of the play calling early in the game. I would have loved to have seen them get the ball to Xavier Worthy and Gunnar Helm on some deep balls earlier than they did in A.D. Mitchell. They seemed to not use them much until early in the second half. And it ended up working, and then they went away from it. Quinn Ewers throws a great deep ball. Would have loved to have seen them throw some more to those guys. But, like I said, 
the three turnovers for the team was very uncharacteristic, and they still should have beat a very good Oklahoma team in this huge rivalry. Now, on the other side, Dylan Gabriel had a great game, 23-38 for 285 and a touchdown. Also ran for 113 and a touchdown. He had a phenomenal game. Great job by Oklahoma for winning this one, but I still think Texas is a top-five team. I think they're going to beat Oklahoma if they get a rematch in the Big 12 championship down the road, and I think they still make the playoffs. What are your thoughts on this one? So, first off, there's going to be a lot of evidence is wrong on this podcast. Um, so, first off, I'd like to apologize to Oklahoma. I didn't think they were that good. I thought they were a paper tiger. Um, and regardless of how I feel about Texas, and we'll get to it, Oklahoma is better than I thought. Hats off to Brent Vittables for making that turnaround from year one. Dylan Gabriel, who didn't get to play in this game last year due to a concussion, came out, had a performance worth two games, um, and led his team down the field uh, in a very hostile 50-50 environment, but Texas fans were raging at the state fair, and they scored the touchdown 15 seconds left. You can't do much more than that in a rivalry game, especially one of this magnitude, so hats off to them. But I do kind of agree with you. This does not change my opinion of Texas. I think they're still very – I think it does a little bit. It makes them a little bit more beatable in my mind, but it also doesn't change the fact that I think if these teams show up again in the Big 12 championship all the way in December, I would take the Longhorns to win that game and go to the playoff. So hats off to Oklahoma. They're better than I thought, but I think the result's still going to be the same. All right, the next game. LSU and Missouri, and boy, was this a fun one. LSU ended up scoring on a pick six to make it a 10-point game in the last few seconds, but this game was much, much closer than that. Missouri controlled the game for most of the game, and I want to start all off with saying Luther Burden is an absolute dog. He is a top-five receiver in the nation, and if you don't believe it, listen to this real quick. This year so far, he has 54 receptions for 793 yards and five touchdowns, which is 14.7 yards of reception. And I just love the way that they tried to get him the ball. It seemed like every other play. They know they have a great playmaker in him, and they tried to use him. Corey Schrader had a great game on the ground for Missouri. Brady Cook, he did have a good game, but he had two interceptions, which is – the first two of the year for him and something that we were not used to seeing out of him. On the other side, Jaden Daniels had another great game, and he's look, starting to look like the Jaden Daniels that we were used to seeing last year. Malik Neighbors had six receptions for 146 and a touchdown as LSU pulls out this one in a huge win to get them back on track. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a game I didn't expect to happen because when Missouri got up to that big lead, I thought this LSU team would fall over and die. And they fought back. Hats off to Brian Kelly to keep his guys motivated. This game felt more like a Missouri loss than an LSU win, though. I could be in the minority on that. And LSU had a great game. Jaden Daniels is playing his tail off over in Baton Rouge to keep that team competitive. But this Missouri team had it won. Eli Drinkowitz and Brady Cook had the opportunity to shut the door, and they never did. Um, and now it sets up for a really interesting environment this weekend. Um, when they go to Kentucky, we'll talk about that game a little bit later, but had a lot of promise. This game really was going to put them on the map in the national, not the national championship, but the national scene. And they just kind of let it slip away. Yeah, and I'll talk a little more about that Missouri team and my thoughts on them when we get to that Kentucky game. All right, the next one is Alabama and A&M. And this was a game that many people thought that Alabama was going to slip up. 
But Jalen Milrow in this offense just took over. Jermaine Burton had the game of his life, nine receptions for 197, two touchdowns. Milrow was 21-33 for 321 and three touchdowns. Did have a very poor interception, which is something that we're used to seeing out of him. Now, he has made a lot of improvements. He's starting to look great. He throws a phenomenal deep ball, one of the best in college football. He does struggle on a lot of his touch passes, though, in short routes. He just seems to, you know, like Florida's had a lot of quarterbacks with that problem lately. Anthony Richardson, Felipe Franks, they were those guys that could throw a deep ball 90 yards downfield, it felt like, on the money. But when you told them to complete a 10-yard out, it was like they forgot how to play football. And that seems like what Jalen Milrow is kind of playing right, like right now. But Tommy Reese and Nick Saban understand this, and that's why they took a lot of deep shots to Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond this past week. And they ended up working. On the other side, AM was struggling mightily on offense, especially in the ground game. They had 35 carries for 67 yards. They did get a little going in the passing game with Max Johnson. He threw for th- 239 and a touchdown. But this Bamba defense holds on and wins by six. What are your thoughts? Man, AM had him on the ropes. And it just felt like there was some questionable cowarding, cowarding calls that Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino made. But at the same time, and, and you know, to quote Josh Pate, who I think is a great analysis, you should have killed Alabama when you had the chance, and the Aggies did, and they did. And so now it becomes really important, or now it becomes really obvious to me that Alabama's going to win the West. Even after that early season loss to Texas, they're going to come back. They're going to go through the SEC West unscathed, in my opinion, and they're going to they're get to Atlanta. And at the end, of, that's a dangerous thing an Alabama team playing with house money. Um, so interested to see how the rest of the season unfolds for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I, I agree with them. I think you're, they're going to win the, S- the West and see Georgia in the SEC championship. Speaking of your Georgia Bulldogs, they finally look like what we were expecting this year, and it, it was even better than we probably expected because Carson Beck looked phenomenal. He was 28 of 35 for 389 and four touchdowns. Did have a long interception, but it didn't matter. On the ground game, they were great. They had 173 and a touchdown. Bowers had 132 and a touchdown. Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint had 99 and a touchdown. Ra Ra Thomas, 63 and a touchdown. John Edwards with 51. I mean, they just got all their playmakers involved. And on the other side, Devin Leary could not get anything going in the past game. This is two straight weeks we have seen him struggle mightily. He struggled against Florida, now struggled against Georgia. The difference between the Florida and Georgia game, though, is Ray Davis got stuffed against Georgia this week. He did have 59 yards on 15 carries, but that did not matter. They had 55 rushing yards as a team as Devin Leary got sacked three times. But this is what we were expecting to see of this Georgia team. We talked about it last week, and even before the game, I looked at Noah, and I said, Georgia's either going to win this by 40 or lose. And they ended up winning by 38, so very close to the first of that prediction. This is what we were expecting to see. So what are your thoughts on Georgia? It it felt like it was coming. And, and I said here on this podcast a week ago, and I – and I told everybody and I told on the radio show that I have that I'll record again later today that this game was the game. It just felt like Georgia was about to come out and just lay the wood. And they did exactly that. Carson Beck started the game, I think, 11 for 11 with two touchdowns in the first quarter. 
I mean, he was just lights on. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway from this game that people, you know, were kind of overlooking. Arson Beck is here. He's now second in the SEC in passing yards, fourth in the nation. And he now has the opportunity to put in one of the best SEC campaigns, you know, of a first-year starting quarterback that anyone has had. And, and I'm really excited to see it. Um, obviously, I don't think he has the talent of some of the big draft picks, that, like of the Bryce Youngs and some other, you know, freshman quarterbacks that have had, but he's been awesome. And that's what he's doing right now. He is doing not game managing. He is going out there and placing it on the ball, placing the ball where it needs to be consistently. And that's something that we felt that we weren't seeing in those early games, but the confidence is there now. The swagger is there. And once he gets going, once he believes in himself, this team is deadly. It, it felt like the playbook got opened up. It felt like the confidence was there. and Everything came together to lay the wood to this Kentucky team who, we'll again talk about it later, may or may not be as great as everyone thought. But it was a statement win over a ranked team at home at night. It was a great showcase. And I think this Georgia team has shown everybody, hey, those, those rumors of our demise were greatly overstated. We're still here. We're still highly competitive. And you still need to go through us to win a national title. All right, so we know Mark Stoops is a good coach, but he has not been able to win the elite game since he has gotten to Kentucky. And with that being said, I have another trivia question for you. So Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky since 2014. How many wins do you think he has over a SEC opponent that finished with a winning conference record? Five. Two. Oh, God. 2018 Florida and 2017 South Carolina. That is it. So, like I said, he he's had plenty of chances at big teams. You know, Florida in the early, you know, around 2013, 2015, when they were making the SEC championship. Georgia the last few years. Um, I mean, they've had plenty of chances to knock off teams like that and just never have. They've gotten Bama a couple times. Never been able to win the big game, especially in the SEC. And, you know, we know Mark Stoops is a good coach, but – Got to start winning some of these or at least being more competitive. All right. The last game of the weekend that I want to talk about, Louisville punishes Notre Dame. And this one was a shock to me because I called Louisville the worst 5-0 team I'd ever seen. And you know how high I was on Notre Dame. But this Notre Dame offense just couldn't get anything going. And Sam Hartman had three turnovers. He had zero turnovers going into this game on the year, ended up having three, and it was super costly. They only had 44 yards on the ground. His teammate could never get anything going, only had 20 yards. Then on the other side, you know, the offense wasn't great for Louisville, but they capitalized when they had to. Jawar Jordan, though, had a great game, 143 and two touchdowns, but Jack Plummer, quarterback, had a pretty mid game, 145 and touchdown. So it goes to the three turnovers that Sam Hartman had and how costly they were. But props to Louisville for staying undefeated again. And, you know, um, who did they have this week? I think it was a fairly good game that they get. Louisville? Yeah. Louisville's got to go to Pitt. Yeah. So another possible loss for them. You know, Pitt is one and four on the year, but Louisville is a, only a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, so it's going to be interesting there. What are your thoughts on this one? So I'm, I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes for Louisville because half of me wants to say I was wrong about Louisville and this this team is a lot better than people think and hats off to Jeff Brom and Jack Plummer and Jawan Jordan and blah, 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 blah. But another half of me just wants to say I think Sam Hartman has the Louisville like heebie-jeebies. 
He was number 10 at Wake Forest last year and had three turnovers in that game and turns around, comes right back in the Notre Dame offense and does it again. I think Louisville just might be his kryptonite. So I'm interested to see how the Cardinal season plays out. I mean, you probably know this as a football fan, but there is a path for have three undefeated ACC teams and only two go to the championship since there's no divisions this year. So interested to see kind of how that will play out. This Louisville team made me more confident in them, but not a believer per se. So I'm interested to see. That's my takeaway. That Not that Notre Dame is that bad or not that Louisville's that good, but is Louisville just the kryptonite for San Marcos? Yeah, I can agree with that. And with that being said, that's all we have from this past week. Week we have to talk about triple overtime in the Coliseum. Right. Well, I was going to talk about that when we mentioned their game here against Notre Dame, but we can go ahead with it. I mean, just lucky is is an understatement in this game. I mean, it, it's what I, t- I was texting y'all Saturday night when I stayed up and watched it. And I don't know how to feel about this USC team because I think their defense is atrocious. I think Lincoln Riley cares more about stats than he cares about winning. And I think Caleb William is a wizard but he has his flaws himself. At the end of the day, this USC team does win, though. In the most improbable likes and improbable scenarios, they win games. So, I don't know. That's That's got to be worth something, but it can't be worth much. And USC once again dropped again after winning a football game, but triple overtime against an Arizona team that might be better than people thought because they took Washington to the brink at triple overtime with USC on the road you know, using a freshman quarterback or, excuse me, a first-time quarterback. But I'm really – I don't know. I just want your thoughts because you were really high on USC, and I know you kind of walked back that statement while watching the game, and we both agreed that their defense is atrocious. But just – does sometimes just surviving count for something? Well, here's my thoughts on it, and they were my preseason national champion, and I had them ranked – Yeah, I had them ranked number two all the way up to – before last week, and last after last week they struggled against Colorado, I dropped them all the way down to five. And then after seeing them against Arizona, I dropped them out of my top ten. Now, I haven't been making a weekly top 25, so I'm not sure where they would fall into it. Probably around 12, but I've been making a weekly top ten, and they are not in it. So that's my thoughts on it. And I saw a tweet that Caleb Williams is the only thing keeping this team from being a 4-8 and eight team, and I yeah. fully believe that. That's how good Caleb Williams is. Oh, I think he's amazing, but he has his own flaws. So, eventually, he's going to get got. And when he gets got, where do they turn to then? No one. They can't. I just – I don't know, man. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to next week's games, and we will talk a little more about USC. But we got to open up with a different Pac-12 game, and it's the game of the week, maybe the game of the year up to this point. It's two teams – in Oregon and Washington who are ranked eight and seven in the country, but I'm even higher on them. I have Washington as my number two team in the country behind Georgia. And I have Oregon at six, just behind Texas in the five spot. So it's two teams I think are absolutely phenomenal. Washington is a three point favorite at home, which means that Vegas thinks it will be a pick em if it was a neutral site. So this game thrills me three thirty kickoff on ABC Bo Nix versus Michael Penix. I mean, there's so much to love about this game. I even saw another tweet. Let me pull it up real quick. 
this is how even the teams are. Both are top seven in fewest tackle for losses allowed. Both are second in fewest sacks allowed. Both are top two in total offense, and they are second and third in points per game. These two teams are so evenly matched. I think it's going to be the funnest game of the year, and I have Oregon – I have Washington just pulling this one out. I don't even know if they cover the three. I think it's just going to be such a great game. I'll go with a push, Washington by three. I disagree. And I know this game is in Seattle, and I know Washington and Michael Penix have had a great start to the year. I'll beat the Arizona game. They've been really competitive, and I get it. And this team looks like a national championship contender, and Kalen DeBoer deserves all the flowers. But Oregon is top seven in defense and top three in offense. That is something you cannot argue. That is facts, and I and I trust Dan Lanning to get up in a big game more than I trust Kalen DeBoer, who has let us down year after year. I think this is going to be an ultra-competitive game. This has got last-second touchdown all over the board, just like – Oklahoma and Texas had, I'm going to take the Ducks to win on the road. I'm going to go late score. Give me like a six-point victory. Oh, and I meant to mention this before. Me and Evan are starting to keep up with our weekly picks and our records. And last week was a horrible week for both of us. Evan went two and five, and I went three and four. So I have one game lead going into this week. Next game I want to talk about is A&M at Tennessee. And this is another one that's a three-and-a-half-point line, so Vegas practically thinks it would be a push at a neutral site. Tennessee is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they're going to start bouncing back. I think this Tennessee team's a better football team than what they showed against Florida. I think Florida just has their number. They went into a hostile-style environment in the swamp and just lost badly. But I'm still not a firm believer in this A&M team. I think they just played a good game against Bama, and it was at home. This is a team that got thraxed by Miami, who just lost to Georgia Tech. And I think Tennessee gets the job done at home this week. What do you think? I think Tennessee wins, but I don't really got any, like, analysis why. I just – there's a gut feeling that Tennessee's going to win this game. It's the checkered game, for those of you who don't know. Uh, so that's going to bring so much hype to Nealon. This game could have been a lot better considering how that game last week could have played out in College Station. It didn't play that way. Tennessee has the loss to Florida. Tennessee is on survival mode right now, knowing they've got to play Georgia later this year, knowing they've got to play Alabama later this year. I just don't think they lose this game. They find a way to win it. Give me Tennessee by seven. All right, next game going, staying in the SEC. Auburn at LSU, another another battle of the Tigers. LSU is a 11-point favorite at home. It's a not game in Death Valley. I think they beat Auburn handily. A lot of people are saying that Auburn could pull the upset here or keep it close. I don't see it. I think Jaden Daniels has another great game. It's a not game in Death Valley, as I mentioned. You don't go in and win those games. Give me LSU to cover the eleven. Yeah, I'm going to go quickly and agree with you. LSU to cover Jaden Daniels versus Jalen Simpson in that Auburn secondary is going to be a good matchup. I think Jaden Daniels beats him with his legs, though. Uh, I think LSU, once again, everything's in front of them. They only have one SEC loss, uh, a beat, uh, a victory over Alabama later this year when they make the trip to Tuscaloosa, puts them back into the SEC West drivership, driver's seat. Excuse me. And I think they don't slip up. Give me the beat the Tigers by 14 to 17. 
Another super fun one here, USC at Notre Dame, and this was the hardest game for me to pick this weekend because, like I said, this is a team that I thought was going to win the national championship preseason in USC and a team that I've fallen in love with this year in Notre Dame. They do have two losses now and a bad one against Louisville, but I still think this is a great team. We know Marcus Freeman has not been able to win the big games, but neither can Lincoln Riley at USC or at Oklahoma. He didn't as well. Notre Dame's a two-and-a-half-point favorite, another one that Vegas practically says is a push at a neutral site. I'm going to roll with Notre Dame and Sam Hartman to bounce back and win this one by a hair, and finally somebody knocks off USC. What do you think? Yeah, i got to agree with you. I just can't trust that USC defense, especially on the road in South Bend. You know, people kept talking about how hard is it for Notre Dame to get up, you know, week in and week out in these hostile road environments where people see them as their Super Bowl. Well, Notre Dame's going to need no convincing this weekend. At home versus USC is a storied tradition, a storied rivalry. And for them to go back into South Bend mad, Marcus Freeman doesn't win the big game. That changes this weekend. It's more of anything. I just can't trust USC to win a big game currently. And maybe they prove me wrong, but I'm going to take the Fighting Irish at home as well. All right, going to the ACC, Miami at North Carolina. Miami's coming off their first loss and a horrible loss on the year in Georgia Tech. Horrible coaching by Mario Cristobal, not taking a knee, end up fumbling. Georgia Tech goes downfield and scoring. I don't know what the safeties were doing. Horrible offense or all around by Miami. On the other side, North Carolina's coming off a huge win over Syracuse, 40-7. to Drake May's starting to look awesome. I do think the Hurricanes and Cristobal bounce back a little bit this week, but I have UNC covering the three and a half. Give me UNC by seven. Yeah, I'm going to take UNC, and I think it might get ugly. This UNC team has made me a quiet believer. Uh, I don't know how they match up against Florida State yet. We'll talk about that, you know, if that time comes. But I think this Drake May team is really good. Tez Walker being reinstated by the NCAA is such a huge addition to this team. It gives Drake May that bona fide number one receiver. So I think it's very important that they go in, win this game this weekend. I think they do it. Give me the Tar Heels. All right, um, the next game is – oh, shoot, I lost. Uh, UCLA at Oregon State, and it seems like every week we've been fading this UCLA team, and they keep proving us wrong. I'm going to fade them, though, because the one time I faded Oregon State this year is the one time that they won and proved me wrong. So I'm going to keep rolling with our Ducks uh, – not our Ducks, our Beavers – and give me Oregon State covering the three and a half by just a hair. I think this one's going to be a good one, a four to six point win by Oregon State. Yeah, I can't fade the wagon, man. DJ Weongale and Jonathan Smith have been great in this early part of the year. Understand they got that loss to Wazoo early, but I think they're going to bounce back. The UCLA team, even though they beat Washington State next week, I think Oregon State completes the triangle. Give me the Beavs to win. All right, Missouri at Kentucky. Battle for second place in the SECs, probably. And I think Missouri gets the job done on the road. We talked about this Missouri team a little while ago, and I just think they're a much better team than Kentucky is right now. I still think this Missouri team is maybe not a contender with Georgia in the East, but I think that they can play with Georgia a little bit. I think Georgia would beat them. But I think they're a much, much better team than what Kentucky just showed against Georgia. And so give me Missouri on the road winning this one. I agree with you. I think the Tigers are going to 
we just saw Carson Beck dice up that secondary, and Brady Cook is maybe not as good as Beck, but he's if he's a step behind, it's a close step. And Luther Burden is going to feast this weekend. I understand that Missouri's got some questions on the run defense, so that Ray Davis-Luther Burden matchup is going to be very important. See who has more yards. I am going to take the Tigers to go into Kroger Field and win, though. All right, so normally that would wrap us up with our seven picks, but we are going to throw a bonus pick this week because Georgia Southern is going on the road to JMU playing James Madison, and this one should be another fun one we have to talk about since you've got two Georgia Southern kids here on the podcast. Technically three, but Jackson's not here today. But JMU is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. But this Georgia Southern offense has been electric under Clay Helton the past two years. Davis Brand comes in. He's top five in the nation in passing yards, has 12 touchdowns, does have seven interceptions, but five of them came in the Wisconsin game where he mightily struggled. Other than that game, we have looked absolutely awesome. I think Georgia Southern gets the job done on the road, and I'd look out for this Georgia Southern team. This is a team that can win the Sun Belt and I think can make a New Year's Six Bowl. What are your thoughts on this one, though, coming up? I think the Southern team is, if they're going to start that New Year's Six campaign that we both think they're capable of, they've got to win this game this weekend, and I think they do. Davis Brin has had a great start to the season. Clay Heldon is making it harder and harder each week for Georgia Southern to afford him, and I think he's going to do just that. I think he's going to go on the road, beat the undefeated Dukes, and Southern's going to be right back in the Sun Belt title contention. Yeah, I love Clay Helton. I want him to be Florida's next head coach. And I, he, okay, so we ref the Georgia, or not the Georgia, the Statesboro football game this past week. He was there, got to talk to him on the sideline before the game. And I didn't realize he's from Gainesville, Florida. So I think it's a match made in heaven. I'd love to see Clay Helton go to Florida. I don't understand why Clay Helton got fired from USC. I can go into that in more detail if you have questions on it, anybody. But that's all I have for college football if you're fine to move on. I'm fine to move on. All right, let's go to the NFL real quick. Uh, We will start NBA next week because the NBA opens up two weeks from yesterday. So in 13 days from now, they open up. So I'll let you give some analysis next week on that. Let's go to the NFL real quick. And I just want to hit two points. One is the New England Patriots struggles and – it's been an abysmal start to them for them. They are one and four. The last two weeks, they have lost games thirty-four nothing to the Saints and thirty-eight to three to the Cowboys. The two worst losses Bill Belichick has ever suffered, and the road really gets no easier for them. They get the Raiders on the road. They get the Bills. They're at the Dolphins. They get the Commanders, the Colts. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's a rough schedule for them coming up, and a lot of people are starting to talk about should Bill Belichick get fired at the end of the year if they, let's say, finish 2-15 and 15 or 3-14. and 14. I'm going to say no. I think Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of my generation. I think they need to move on from Mac Jones. I think they need some better leadership up top from Robert Kraft and some other guys to get you know more of the talent in. You know, their their leading receiver is Juju Smith-Schuster, who has been washed up for the last five years. I would love to see them get some more playmakers, get a new quarterback. They need to rebuild everywhere. But I don't think it's all Bill Belichick. But I want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, there's got to be a rehaul or a rebuild or whatever you want to call it in New England. But it doesn't start with Bill Belichick. I mean, he is the greatest coach of our generation, like you said. 
you don't fire him. If if you you know if anything, you let him retire. Um, but he is one of the greatest coaches of all time. I don't think you've got the wherewithal, or really one bad season is worth removing him, especially without trying to change the quarterback and the receivers around him first. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about is the San Francisco 49ers and their super great start so far. They are sitting here at 5-0 and and have won every game by at least 18. The only one they didn't was a seven-point win on the road at Los Angeles and the Rams. And, you know, the Rams have played much better football than expected this year. Cooper Cup is back now. Puka Nakua has been awesome so far, but – the Niners have just been so hot. Brandon Ayuk has stepped up and seems to be the number one receiver. Brock Purdy's still playing great. They even have Debo Samuel still. George Kittle had three touchdowns this past week. Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown in the last 15 games. This team is so, 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 so good. And we didn't even mention the defense side of things where they're probably the best defense in the NFL. They just beat the Cowboys, who people love this year, 42-10. to 10, And – I want to get your take. Are they the best team in the NFL? Currently, yes. Uh, I think the defense is amazing. I think Brock Purdy is really capable of winning you football games. Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuels are amazing skill players to have around him. The offensive line is very sturdy. There's really not a huge flaw on this team. Now, this team probably will have a, a lull. It, it seems like every year the great teams of the league um, have a lull. I don't – I think they're still really competitive. They'd probably be the Super Bowl favorites in my eyes currently. Um, but, yeah, I'd have to agree, especially after the thumping of Dallas this past week. I think they are the best team in the league. All right. Well, that's all I have from the NFL world, and I am ready to move on to bold predictions. Yes. Do you have one? Yeah, I'll take one. So, this is a little other game. We've got Wyoming, who just beat Fresno State who's 5-1, and one, and Air Force, who's undefeated. Air Force is a 10.5-point favorite. I'm going to take Air Force to cover. I think they're a really good group of five team. I think they're the best team in Colorado, and I think they might be your New Year's Six representative later this year. Okay. Well, I do not quite have one yet. But... Oh. Also, a bonus one, I've got an Acuna homer tonight. Okay. Um, I guess I'll roll with this one. It just popped in the top of my head. And, you know, every year Purdue gives Ohio State all they want. And, you know, this is a team in Ohio State that I was fairly high on at the beginning of the year. Thought they'd make the playoffs, but they have not impressed me one bit this year. Kyle McCord does not look great. I don't know what's going on with the play calling if Brian Hartline has taken over play calling and he's just not a play caller or if Ryan Day's doing it and has just regressed as a play caller. But the offense has been abysmal. They go on the road at Purdue this week as a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. I might as well just go with it. I'm going to say Purdue knocks them off. That's my prediction for this week. I like it. I hope so. Purdue (laughs) seems to give them all they want every single year. And maybe this is just another one. We'll see. All right. Well, do you have any last words before we wrap up? Uh, No, I do not. All right. Well, go Braves, go Hawks, and go Falcons.